You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Find me online at JackieDaily.com. That's Jackie, no E, daily like everyday.com. And from there, you can find me on The Blaze. Link over to TheBlaze.com forward slash radio. Or you can subscribe for free. iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, in most places where quality podcasts are found. Follow me easily and continue the conversation and watch my weekly fights on social media with a bunch of clowns uh, at Jackie Daly host on the X or on Facebook or Instagram, Jackie Daly. All right, this week, um, first of all, I'm going to release a new video actually next week uh, with Mark Mills. Mark Mills is probably one of the top five guys uh, thinkers when it comes to saving this country from World War III, having smart energy and environmental policy. Uh, he's now with the Texas Public Policy Foundation, a new friend. I watched him debate last night and just demolish uh, some guy who's pushing for electric vehicles to take over the fleet. It's not going to happen. Hint. He was excellent. So that video goes out. It will be on my website probably about a week from now. Also on the social media. Uh, this week on this show, I have... Texas Railroad Commissioner Wayne Christian, he's the probably top oil and gas um, regulator on earth, I would argue, at the top agency, being targeted by Jane Fonda and George Soros uh, in his upcoming race. Kind of exciting. He'll tell you about that, but we're going to talk about why we have to stop the false narratives that, that our elites are believing, which are extremely dangerous They're wanting to watch world population go down because they think we are the problem. And that's what's fueling all of this green environmental policy that if taken seriously and implemented would actually harm, if not uh, threaten the lives of billions of people around the world. And after Wayne Christian, I then speak with an author named John Whitmore Jenkins, Harvard Business School, 1963, writing a book looking back over the last century from the greatest generation until now. It's called Looking Through a Glass Darkly, Divided America in the Gathering Storm. It's actually a really awesome book where he writes about how we became great, what went wrong, and how to turn it around. Chapter one, Revisiting the Wizard of Oz. He compares America's decline to the Wizard of Oz. Chapter two, The Missing Brains, Hearts, and Courage to Lead. Chapter three, the wizards behind the curtain and the witches covering their backs. So you get an idea of what this is all about. Um, then I love the solution at the end of the book. Dorothy's magic shoes and the U.S. Constitution. It's all about hope. How do we turn things around? This is a guy who's lived through a lot. He's seen a lot. He's been at the top of the business uh, mountain and um, helped to build this country and now is watching it decline and be torn down, but he has the path forward. Great guy. Again, John Whitmore Jenkins, uh, and he'll be joining me later in the show. All right. Uh, Out of time for right now. Uh, That's the open. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Find me at JackieDaly.com. Follow me on the X at JackieDalyHost.com. Also on Instagram, Jackie Daly. All right, finally, I have my friend Wayne Christian back on the show. He is the Texas Railroad Commissioner. There's actually more than one of them, but he's the guy driving the train as far as I'm concerned. He is the leader in in what is arguably the top oil and gas regulatory agency on earth. But even more than that, he's highly entertaining. One of my top radio guests of all time. He does great radio. Now he has a podcast, Wayne's World. I follow his stuff. Tons of great stuff coming from Wayne Christian. I'm always entertained. Wayne, welcome back. Hey, honored to be with you, Jackie. It's a real thrill to be able to visit with you again. Likewise. And I got to tell you, I had to laugh when I received your end of year uh, letter to me and others about your work. And you tell us, just to let the audience in on who and how you are, that Jane Fonda was trying to unelect you in the state of Texas. And that's worth explaining. It's Jane Fonda and George Soros. What are they doing to you, Wayne? 
Well, of course, it, it's the Railroad Commission itself. Of course, I'm one of the three commissioners. And every two years, one, one a separate commissioner runs. Christy Craddock is up for this time. And, of course, one of the things I see is that when time before my election, when Jim Wright won, George, uh, Bloomberg gave $3 million into his opponent's campaign. Oh. Th- then my election came up, George Soros' son, who now controlled his empire, Jane Fonda and Greenpeace all contributed against me for my seat at the Railroad Commission in Texas. And in this next election, there's a new organization called Commission Shift that has come to Texas. And it has been uh, deemed able to receive what they call dark money. And so my fear is a lot of people are not aware of what oil and gas means to us in every realm of, of in the state of Texas and the world currently. Right now, Texas in the press, Wall Street Journal, others call us the hope of the free world. Yes. Right now, we're exporting what's keeping the world alive uh, in Europe and around the world with our liquefied natural gas out of the Gulf of Mexico. Louisiana and Texas are the providers for the free world. And we are the top regulatory agency, Railroad Commission of Texas, for the free world. So what a better place for George Soros, the World Economic Forum, these friends of ours, to attack Texas than to adopt the same program of Joe Biden and have the Railroad Commission taken over because, sadly, most people don't know what the Railroad Commission does. You have a race there, and all of a sudden in the runoff election, when nobody shows up, technically, you wind up having it bought by George Soros and others in that runoff election for a railroad commission. All of a sudden, we're not Texas anymore. We have Joe Biden's policy implemented in Texas that shuts off oil and gas, which is 40% of our state economy, one over 10 jobs, all the rainy day fund, all the permanent school fund, all the higher education fund. And we're sitting here in Texas totally reliant on what God has given us. And we're being stewards. We are 50% of the United States oil production, about 30% of the natural gas production, and again, the world relies on us. And uh, I think not enough people are aware of that, and it's a wide-open target for these enemies of America uh, to come and take over. Well, and I think that this all happens either because elites believe lies, false narratives, or they know the truth, and they're either profiting off of America's competitors, maybe they're invested in Gazprom, or Raj Neft, or Saudi Aramco, or who knows what. Uh, so that's entirely possible, or they have other anti-American agendas. So that's... Hey Jackie, go ahead. Jackie, there's this, there's this strange fellow named Glenn Beck who wrote a book <laughs> called, the, called The Great Reset. Yes. And I think if you read that, it tells a lot of the story of what I believe that Glenn is absolutely correct on what's going on. Uh, I, I, in fact, I did a six-hour course out of uh, Hillsdale College own the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. Oh, wow. And as Glenn Beck gives, it, it's quite amazing that their goals are to completely stop the United States from being the world power, superpower, and they want, an, they want what they call equity on Earth. So there's about a third of the planet that's rich, there's a third they call average, and then the third they call poor. And they think the way to fix this is to take away from the rich and give to the poor, Robin Hood type stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Not what happens, but that's their theory. Right. But what's happening is, guess who the rich are? The United States of America. Guess what makes us rich? Every country that has oil is richer than every country that doesn't have oil. So as fast as they can strip us of oil in the United States, the faster we are now a sub- subservient to this great reset, which is then we got uh, draft card burning John Kerry. You've got George Soros. You've got uh, Larry Fink of of BlackRock Funds, who controls 28% with two other funds of the world's liquid equity. And you've got uh, Bill Gates. Then they control things. We had a revolution in 1776 to prevent the elitists from running our country. But that's where we are right now. Well, and why can't they lead by example, Wayne? Why can't they give their wealth away? You know, there's a whole parable about this, right, on the rich young ruler. shows up and says, hey, I'm righteous. I've done everything right. You know, what more do I have to do? Uh, And the answer was, well, how about you give away your own wealth? And he went away sorrowful. And that's what the book says. Their problem is is if they honestly believe, and John Kerry made the speech at last year's World Economic Forum very, very succinctly. He said, I feel like we're a bunch of aliens that are able to come to earth and take care of the masses. Oh. Now, it wasn't an exact quote, but that was the, that's the attitude. And hint to them, they believe they're smarter. 
Oh, they yeah. believe there are better, oh, and yeah. they believe that they've got to save mankind. Now, that, that's not necessarily an evil premise, but it may be what they believe. I think there's some evil, a lot of it, involved in this. But just be, be a naive and say they're not all nice people just have the wrong beliefs, but their beliefs are wrong. I go back and forth on this all the time, and I had a, an interview yesterday with Mark Mills, who just came over to Texas Public Policy Foundation from Manhattan Institute. He's a physicist. And I was saying, Mark, I just feel like a lot of these people, like the, the types we're discussing, the types that go to the WEF, go to COP28, they are grifters. They know that there's a plan put together for trillions to be redistributed from taxpayers in the U.S. and elsewhere to whoever lines up with the green company. So they're green. And they founded the company yesterday. No one cares. This is what this is. And he pushed back on me and said, and I, I mean, I don't disagree with him. He's like, no, actually, a lot of these people really believe in what they're doing. And Wayne, I think he is partially right. And that's where I started yeah. that interview and, and where, where we have a problem right now. I really believe a lot of elites believe false narratives. They really, really believe it. And I know this because, you know, I'm here in the Dallas bubble, right? Uh, I, I've gone from one of the poorest neighborhoods in Appalachia to one of the wealthier in Dallas. And I'm around these people who have gone to the Ivy League schools. Uh, some of them are, are good-hearted people. They're You might call them do-gooders. And I talked to them, and Wayne, you peel back a layer of the onion, like two peels, and you figure out they don't know anything about right. basic okay. topics, about oil, especially oil and gas. But then, Jackie, it, it's, it's many of us responsible for this. We yes. can't just hand it off what just happened. We've sat back and ignored our universities and who was teaching yep. what to our yep. population for decades. Yep. And I always tell people, my generation, and you weren't even born at that time, Jackie, but <laughs> I remember when John Kerry was burning his draft card back in the Vietnam era, and now yes. we have a bunch of Vietnam draft-dodging tenured professors right. took over our education system, started telling every one of our kids, America was terrible, we were evil, we need to apologize to the world, we need to give away what we have, we need to get back to this, all this other stuff. And from that time, you saw just in the energy portion, you saw in the 60s, they start telling the, the nation, well, we're going to be without oil in 10 years. And then they get in the 70s, start talking about the new ice age that's coming. And then they get in the 80s and acid rain. And then you get back in the 90s and you talk about the ozone hole and the ozone layer. And then Al Gore in the 2000s did his movie and said all the ice is going to move and the polar bears are all going to die. In the 2010s come the rising sea levels that caused that Obama said we better move out because the rising sea levels then went three years later and bought a at sea level mansion up in uh, Martha's Vineyard. And then in the 2010, Greta Thunberg comes squalling on TV and everybody bows down. She says the world's going to end in five years. And now we're, we're worshiping at the God of carbon, carbon dioxide, which is another full hoax and lie. But you've got all of our companies, all of our people, or for a lower carbon future, less lower carbon, less CO2. That's a scam. Well, and what it what you would call it in older times, uh, former times, is idolatry. It is yes. it is idolatry because it's <laughs> got this guest coming on next. He wrote a book about how you know people are filling their otherwise empty lives with this brand new doctrine, this brand new religion, uh, which is worshiping the earth and and believing false narratives. But I tell you what, I I have a bit of new hope. I have proof. Wayne, that some of us who are not so fearful and instead use facts are getting through to people at the top. And I guess I should probably make this for the next segment, but it's all about how the narrative has changed on ESG investment criteria, which I just call a wokeness score because that's really what it is. And we are seeing now a collapse in the use of this term by Wall Street executives, people on earnings calls, now everyone is running away from ESG, which is very interesting because I was watching this great debate between uh, Jason Isaac from TPPF, Texas Public Policy, and some clown from Colorado who, who told Jason, listen, this guy from Texas, he doesn't get it. The ESG wave is coming. Only about 20 foot of it has arrived and if you don't just get on and ride the wave, you're going to be crushed. 
under a hundred foot wave of ESG in Texas. And that was like two years ago. So now Jackie, that's why that's why you're so valuable. That's why we can't under we sit back, many of us, and read this stuff and know that all of a sudden this is becoming with the elect, with electric vehicles not having power during the storm. We're seeing all the things that the uh, energy companies, the the manufacturing General Motors, Ford are saying, "Hey, we're stopping making these EVs that the administration told us to make because nobody's buying them." The realism is coming there to the market, but. I encourage you, and, and you are one of the leading the charge, Jackie. Getting the word out like you've done for years now has got to be elevated to a new level because we don't need to say, well, we won that round, wipe our hands and sit back because, believe me, they're coming. I, we right now in Texas, the EPA is attacking us by the uh, methane uh, realm. Now, the methane score out there of what methane's being uh, released, and if they get what they want, they're going to shut down about 80% dig this, 80% of our producers are independent producers, not the big seven oil companies. Right. <clears throat> and most of these oil companies will go broke. They can't meet the new regulations on methane weeding. just doesn't happen. So, and, But the thing is, if we fix that in Texas, it doesn't matter. The EPA will come back with the prairie chicken. It doesn't matter oh, if yeah. create a zoo and create all the prairie chickens happy. The, the cause is not the EPA right now to clean up the environment. Their cause is to do away with oil and gas. Right. American and, oil and, and gas. All right. Let me take a break yes. real fast, Wayne. I'll come back and we'll get right back on this. Uh, yes, we have to go. All right. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show, and I'm continuing a conversation with Wayne Christian. He is a commissioner at the Texas Railroad Commission, which actually regulates oil and gas, among other things. Uh, and we're talking about the federal government's campaign or even a worldwide uh, governance campaign to destroy American oil and gas, along with British oil and gas, along with Australian oil and gas. Strangely, uh, the agenda never seems to hit OPEC or Russia uh, or any of the people who compete with us who basically are petrostate dictators. They have, you know, one real commodity or two uh, that funds their budget. And uh, they seem to survive all of this. So when we went to break, Wayne, what we were talking about is it seems that, you know, corporate America, at least, and the investment managers like uh, Larry Fink at BlackRock and others have figured out that if they continue with the ESG agenda as they were pursuing it, they're open to legal liability. So suddenly the brakes got thrown on really fast, at least to the talk, not the actions, the talk. Oh, yeah, which they, is very we've different. seen that we've seen that occur. Yes. What I think is most dangerous right now, Jackie, is I believe our people are not hearing the truth of what a drastic reality the stopping of oil and gas is. Right. They don't understand what it does. Right now, oil and gas are eighty percent of world energy. That that means that if you shut down oil and gas, all you got left is wind and solar and a few other trace minerals. And wind and solar right now are about five percent of world energy. And by the way, wind and solar only create one product electricity. So we're going to shut down. This is the policy to shut down 80% of the world's energy. Then it's also, there there are 8 billion people on planet earth. Food supply by fertilized food, which is from natural gas, will feed 12.7 billion. Organic food will feed only 4 billion. So half the people of the world will starve if you shut down oil and gas. And the other part is people every day we hear on the television, well, the price of Oil is up today. That means the price of gasoline is going up. Or there's going to be some threat to oil and gas, and that's going to hurt the price of gasoline. The answer is yes, but it's so minute in the whole total picture because oil is responsible, oil and gas, for 96% of consumer products, medicines, cosmetics, plastics. The, in fact, if you do what Biden and the World Economic Forum want to do is shut down oil and gas, you can't have windmills and solar panels. Because they're made out of plastics, fiberglass, etc. They use oil for the lubrication. This is how insane this whole thing is, is the destruction of oil and gas takes us back to pre-1850 lifestyle in this country. Get your horse and buggy out, darling, because that's exactly what we'll have to drive if we continue down this stream, which that's exactly what they're advocating. But in real life, Wayne, what I foresee happening is that if they actually prevailed in their war to take out U.S. oil and gas, which is all they have jurisdiction over, at least out of the EPA, 
all that's going to happen is not that we're going to stop using it. People aren't going to die. What's going to happen is they're all going to start buying from Saudi Arabia, Russia, Venezuela, uh, Iran. You know, all of our competitors will be sitting right there, ready to gobble that up. I believe that is what the agenda is all about, is benefiting them. They hold 70% of uh, proven reserves-ish. And so, like, for example, Dubai held the COP28 UN Climate Conference. And people might reasonably ask, why would Dubai, which is, you know, their, their economy is basically funded exclusively by oil and gas. It's, it's, it's a one-trick pony. That's all they've got. They don't have Silicon Valley. They don't have a financial center, really, like we do. They don't have manufacturing. They have oil and gas. So why are they doing an anti-oil and gas conference? And I'm going to pause it. It's because it hurts countries like ours where, you know, uh, and, and it benefits the third, well, other countries that don't have as much money. And there are transaction costs there. Somebody's making money on all those transactions. So why not? Why wouldn't our elites be on board? They're in line. What well, do you they think? will. And that's, that's the elites, the rich, the uh, John Kerry's and, yeah. and the others of the world, the, the Al Gore's and the George Soros and that group. They're going to benefit. They're going to prosper. And, and the, the over example of this, I remember back Texas public policy, Kathleen Hartnett White and Stephen Moore wrote a book called Fueling Freedom. Talked about the missionaries going overseas at that time, that they had to choose between medicine staying good in the refrigerator or second choice performing surgery that would save lives because they were not able to use gasoline generators anymore, only windmills. The same thing's happening. I get calls, I uh, heard of uh, Alex Epstein, great friend who you know that uh, advocates yep. fossil fuels. He said he had a friend call him and say that he's lost two babies in the last two years because his village did not have electric uh, incubators or, or these life sustainers when his children were born and his, both his kids died. Wow. And what mm. we don't realize is you've got 3 billion people on planet Earth right now that don't use enough electricity in a year to, to power a refrigerator. You've got people that don't have clean water, don't have heat, don't have medicine, don't have life-sustaining things. And we arrogantly sit back here and talk about uh, our quality of air and this, that, and other. That's important. But there's people that are dying today, a third of the world. And when you start cutting back on what, lit, what we are now furnishing and shut down oil and gas from these United States, people will die. But let me tell you, back to what we started with, and Glenn Beck wrote about the World Economic Forum, guess what one of their goals is? Depopulation. Right. Now, that sounds cruel, but they intend to lower the population of the world and how better than just let these people die off from lack of medicine, lack of clean water, lack of, of any type of heating in winter? People will die. And when innocent human life is targeted to die, there's a legal word we have that in America, in the legal system, and it's quite frightening. Well, and this is why, Wayne, I, I've been fixated on this idea that these elites, as Mark Mills said, they're not all grifters. Some of them really believe this. I, I absolutely have a lot of friends here in Dallas, uh, many of them Republican or conservative, went to the Ivy League schools, and they're absolutely convinced that the world has entirely too many people. I mean, they're, they're absolutely convinced. That's what all the elites are saying. They've read Guns, Butter, and Steel and all that. Um, and and they, they have the best of intentions. They're good people. They're not bad people. Uh, and yes, so, but just like just like that wise man said, once we fall into the trap as leaders, and I mean our political leaders, Republicans, Democrats, whoever, of trying to make our decisions based on how we fear they will be portrayed, then we're done making the right decision. That was Vivek Ramaswamy, not exactly an old guy, but a uh, smart fella. Yeah, and yeah. when he says that's what's happening, you got our energy companies. Listen to this; they know this. But what do you see every time you see a, a prospectus from one of our oil and gas companies? You see windmills and solar panels. Yeah. What do you see every time you see a television commercial? You see, we're for a lower carbon future. We're lowering our carbon. Algae. Let me tell you, I've got a letter by 1,600 scientists that there is no climate emergency. The winner of the Nobel Prize last year yes. stated it was a big scam. Yeah. This, all this is a scam, a hoax. If, I understand that. I, I don't want to take too much time. I know you're, I'm, I'm going to end my program. But let me give you this that I found, and, and you can Google this anyway. I saw it on a congressional committee. <laughs> Just Google it. 
if we're talking about carbon dioxide is the total goal for the Paris Accord, for the, keeping the temperature from going up in the next few decades, the total goal now is to lower the carbon. And all of our oil companies, all of our, many of our trade associations are saying, well, we're for a lower carbon future. Carbon dioxide in the world's atmosphere is like four hundredths of one percent. And we're eleven percent of that. Yeah, eleven. You know, it's between you're exactly right. Five to the 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 calculation is how much of that is man made between three and a half to five percent. So that comes to point zero zero two percent, two hundredths of one percent of the Earth's atmosphere. If we all stop producing, start driving horses and buggies, shut everything down, oil and gas, all our industry shut down, totally went out the lights. Two hundredths of 1% of the environment will be infected. It is a ruse, but it's a cruel on the cost of families. Let me tell you, there are families right now that their heating bills in Texas have tripled and quadrupled. They can't afford heat anymore. They can't afford food anymore. There's people who can't get jobs because the restaurants have closed because they can't afford the prices. And this is happening as we speak. And where are we, Jackie? People like you, thank God, are getting the word out. But it's not the majority of the news media, let me tell you. No, and I just got into a, a social media fight yesterday with someone who's a, like, they said it was a chemical a chemical engineering uh, person and lawyer who was saying, Jackie, do you want people to have to choose between heating and eating? That's where we're going if you continue with this fossil fuel agenda. Like, this was an otherwise intelligent person. And so this is where we are. This is, the, I think it was a Texan uh, you know, someone who's worked yeah. professionally, I think, in this state for for how long? It looks like maybe decades. I I am astounded at how far we have yes. to go. And look at the test case. Look at the test case. Germany and and, and England oh, yeah. have been through this for ten years of shutting down oil oh, and gas. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. they got they right now. The average German uses elect, less electricity than they did in 1978. Their lifestyle has degraded to that extent. The cost of of electricity and gas to heat their homes is 10 times what we currently pay in the United States. I mean, it's been proven reckless. It's killing people over there. They proved it doesn't work. In fact, they're all firing back up coal generating facilities and everything else over in Europe to try to stay alive. And their only hope is the LNG coming out of Texas and Louisiana. But what are we doing in America? We're heading right on down this uh, greatest existential threat to mankind is this climate crisis, according to the president of these United States and his administration. For sure. Lots of work to do. The good news is the people responsible are humans and they're persuadable. If we can get through to them through all of the media misinformation, all of the elite school misinformation, all of the information that has to be re- retaught. Um, and, you know, there's I, I watched I watched a debate last night with Mark Mills uh, and a guy who was pro EV room full of like, you know, 100 very influential Dallasites. And wow. Mark Mills really just just dominated and got through yeah, to them. There's a, there's a way. People like that we need, Jack. People like you, people like Mark. Let me give you one bright light, and I'm sure you're aware of this. The State Board of Education, who is what an under-realized uh, organization the State Board of Education is, just passed curriculum this past fall that has to teach our students uh, that – uh, the truth of the real truth of the climate change, oil and gas, and the benefits of oil and gas, and many other things they did. But we fought that curriculum. I work with the State Board of Education, and many of those folks that are on the board are real heroes because now people don't realize when Texas passes required curricula, which they did, that will tell the truth to oil and gas. Because we're so big, about a third to one half of the nation has to use the text that the printers print because, see, smaller states can't demand what they want in the textbooks. Texas can. And that's a great start. Now, that's not the total answer, but to start having our children in about a third of the states of the United States teach truth on all this rather than what they've been fed since the Vietnam era is a major win by the State Board of Education here in Texas. No question. That was the topic that I had laid out for you, but I got so into what we were talking about, I never got to my long list of Wayne Christian topics. So I'm out of time, but Wayne, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on for all that you do. Really appreciate you. you Jackie. God bless your your work and your message. Uh, We love you. Likewise. I love you too, Wayne. You're my favorite man in Austin, Texas. Granted, there aren't a lot of great people in Austin, Texas, but all the same. Uh, You're the best. You're the best. You're my favorite commissioner of all time. 
Thank you for coming on. I'll have you back as soon as you'll come back. God bless. All right, you too. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Follow me online, JackieDaly.com, on Facebook, and on the X at Jackie Daly Host. I have here in studio John Whitmore Jenkins. He is the author of Looking Through a Glass Darkly. You might recognize that allusion uh, to early literature. It's called the New Testament. Uh, I recognize the reference. Listen, I, this is a great book. It's, it, it's subtitled Divided America and the Gathering Storm. And I have a letter from Mr. Jenkins about what this book is about, but I read the table of contents and I love so much the organization of the book. Just, just listen to this and see what you think. Okay. Part one, a quarter century of failed leadership, starting with the depression and the world war, uh, wars. Chapter one, revisiting the wizard of Oz. Chapter two, the missing brains, heart and courage to lead. Chapter three, the wizards behind the curtain and the witches covering their backs. And I thought, where is chapter four about the grifters and the sellouts? And who would that have been in the Wizard of Oz? But I just read even just this piece right here. And this alone, I want to read the book right away. So great job on putting together uh, your table of contents. And it goes on to explain the, the unprecedented abundance following the Second World War created an illusion for the younger generation that individual responsibility was obsolete. And I thought that was a really, really great way to put it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So there were a couple of chapters that you directed me to, Mr. Jenkins, that were uh, very much kind of in line with the messaging on my show, which is mostly about, you know, talking about ceding our individual rights, wealth, and sovereignty because of the climate change narrative, the false narrative, not climate change, but the narrative um, and so you, you have a list of Ponzi schemes here that our government is running on us. Um, Ponzi scheme number four, weather wizards try to control the Earth's climate. And I love it. It starts the hubris of those claiming they could control a pandemic or control the Earth's climate, uh, you know, join the Keynesian economics people. And then you have some beautiful prose here that I want to share uh, beginning with the hockey stick graph, by the way, which is having a, a 12-year culmination now into a defamation trial against Michael Mann, who's uh, put out the hockey stick, versus uh, Mark Stein, who is a you know media person who criticized it rightly. So they're fighting right now in court, right now. <laughs> um, beginning with the hockey stick graph, former Vice President Gore popularized a new religion that could give meaning to otherwise empty lives. Add money to the bank accounts of the nation's elite insiders and bring praise from our brain-challenged media. I'm like, what beautiful prose this is. So this is great. So let me ask you, um, as you go through sort of dissecting from what would be really your lifetime and forward, because we're starting at the end of the Depression and the World Wars, tracing where we are right now. Um, you're, you have a Harvard MBA. Uh, class of 63, so to give people an idea. Why did you write this book? Well, I wrote the book because I was part of the generation that created the great wealth that we had right after World War II. And I started with IBM in 63, right at the point when punch card equipment went to computers. Okay. So I helped create this beautiful prosperity that we've had. And then... If you look at what happened from 9-11 to where we are today, all of a sudden, it's a different world. And so I took the analogy of the Wizard of Oz, of Dorothy, who was uh, wiped out into a, uh, a whirlwind from Kansas and dropped into this strange new world of Oz. And I've tried to make it so that the general reader can get into what's really happened to us over this period of time. Yeah, and I love, and you know, people should know there's hope in this book. This isn't just a diagnostic. This isn't just a complaint, a complaint of, of modern society. There's hope at the end because there's a chapter that's titled Dorothy's Magic Shoes and the U.S. Constitution. 
which I love. Okay, I'm a lawyer, <laughs> and uh, I love the law. I've taken the oath more than once. I can't even repeat it without tearing up that I will defend the U.S. Constitution and uphold it, uh, but defend it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so I think it's the greatest governing document ever drafted in the history of mankind. I, I marvel day by day at how even now, despite every attack and every attempt to undermine it from every direction, we actually still have this document. It's still alive. They haven't taken us down yet because of what's in the document. It stands between us and and tyranny. Well, you'll notice at the end of the book, Dorothy clicks her two heels together, which is the Constitution, and that got her back home. Right. So if we're going to get back home, we're going to have to get back to the Constitution, and we, the people, control the Constitution. The Constitution was written for we, the people, not for the bureaucrats in Washington. No, and you are you are uh, not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. And, I'm not an <clears throat> activist. No, you're a, you're a business person. Actually, in some ways, you have the most credibility because here's what I learned from seven years of working on Capitol Hill as counsel. Uh, I believe naively when I came out of law school, as do all the twenty year olds that run Capitol Hill. I believed that if only I showed up and helped to bring together the best ideas. We could solve problems. I didn't understand that a lot of people on Capitol Hill were not looking to solve problems. In fact, they were benefiting from the exacerbation of problems or continuance of problems. And it seemed to me, with the grass is always greener syndrome, that it's always the money people, the business people, the Harvard MBAs, the Wall Street people. They always got their way no matter what we could draft no matter what uh, was happening with the public, I'll give you an example, and I'll have you react to this because you're you are an MBA from Harvard, um, and I and I, I like you. I say it very respectfully. <laughs> um, I, I was I had just arrived on Capitol Hill. It was 2006. Talk radio hosts were telling their listeners to blow up the line on Capitol Hill to all the offices to do something about immigration. Now it was 2006. I just arrived. We have five phone lines in the office that light up. As soon as you would sit the phone down, it would ring again. you pick it right back up, the whole staff, because we couldn't field all the calls from all the people demanding immigration, uh, not reform, not amnesty, but action to seal the border. Okay. Well, instead of prioritizing that in the Judiciary Committee, which is where I was focused, the leadership ran all of these hearings on the horse slaughter bill. Madeline Pickens, you know, Boone Pickens' wife, Horse slaughter bill. And this went on for weeks until the election. And then we forgot about it. Um, What turned out to be true was that, at least on the Republican side, it was all the business people in the Chamber of Commerce, hotels, restaurants. They want that illegal immigration. They want the cheap labor. Also, our, our agriculture farmers wanted it for cheap labor. What I'm saying is, it just seemed to me like no matter what the Constitution said about how things were supposed to work, the business people, the Chamber of Commerce, uh, franchises, whatever, would show up and just say what they wanted. And by golly, that's what happened. So from where I was sitting, I felt like maybe I went to the wrong school. Instead of the law school, I should have gone to the business school. And from there, I would have had a lot more influence and kept these kinds of things from happening. So I wanted to be you, <laughs> and you're writing about my role. Uh-huh. So what is your thought about, as, as time has gone on over your lifetime, um, you, you, you kind of identify who's to blame in a way, some of them, some of them. But how do we fix that problem where money talks? At the end of the day, ideas sometimes lose to interests. Well, the... Harvard Business School gave me three things. Uh, First off, it gave me a beautiful appreciation of Boston and where this all started. Uh, Concord Bridge was my favorite spot there. Mm -hmm. Second thing is I found my wife there. She was from Puerto Rico, and uh, she and her roommates uh, set up uh, between Harvard, MIT, and the Harvard Business School to find husbands. (sighs) And the third thing I got there was... Was she at the Rhode Island School of Design? (laughs) (laughs) That's where you all look for for ladies, right? I heard... And then the the third thing I got out of it was the case method of study. Yeah. And I've tried to use that in here because you can't see through everything that's going on. 
uh, case method would give us facts, and you had to extrapolate from that. So I tr- tried in the book to extrapolate from what's available to us into what we can use uh, rationally to move forward. And one of the things that if we talk about the Constitution, when we change the Constitution, we reorganize how our government works. And when we change the uh, Constitution for the president's uh, term of office from unlimited to eight years, all of a sudden the Congress became more important than the presidency because they outlived the presidency. And then if you look at, we change the senators from being elected in by the state legislatures, all of a sudden we have national election of senators and the mm-hmm. big money comes in. And so it's not Texas or our locals are electing the senators, it's where the money goes. If you were to look at uh, the current legislative setup today, there are 30 legislatures in the states and governors with both uh, legislative uh, sections that are Republican. If we were electing senators by those states, we would have 60 senators. Now we have 49 because they're elected nationally by the money that you just mentioned. Yeah, no, that's a really excellent point. And, you know, first of all, Actually, all right, I have to get a break. I don't have a choice. Uh, I'm out of time, but we'll come right back with Mr. Jenkins. And we're talking about his book, Looking Through a Glass Darkly, Divided America in the Gathering Storm. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show, and I'm continuing a conversation with John Whitmore Jenkins. He is the author of Looking Through a Glass Darkly, Divided America in the Gathering Storm, and uh, we're talking about essentially a, a, a comparison to the Wizard of Oz and describing America's history since uh, the end of the Second World War, how things have changed, where we left off. Uh, as we're talking about the Constitution, which is interesting because Mr. Jenkins uh, has his MBA from Harvard. So he's a Harvard Business School guy. And I was a lawyer who was on Capitol Hill. So I see it uh, for, through my lens. And no one has ever made the point to me. Up to, the, up to this point in my life, which is remarkable since I actually served as a counsel to the subcommittee on the Constitution's chairman, um, that money was injected into politics by virtue of direct election of senators. So once upon a time, the states sent their senators. The, the state uh, elected officials chose senators. Uh, then there was an amendment, and now we all vote for who's the senator. Uh, and then, so therefore, big money can pour into a state. Uh, to the, the voters and uh, exert an influence on the outcome. So interesting and a, and a solid point too you made where the Constitution is not the Bill of Rights. A lot of people think when they think Constitution, they're thinking of free speech and Second Amendment. It's all that stuff too, but those are amendments to the Constitution. The Constitution is actually how the government is, is uh, structured. So divided government, the three branches and all this business. Um, executive, legislative, judicial. And you mentioned quite astutely the sleight of hand that happened, um, especially in the second half of the last century, where rather than things working according to how we were taught, which is that you and I elect a representative who goes to the state house and decides what the policy will be, they punted that responsibility for voting to the bureaucracy the administrative state, almost like a fourth branch of government now, except we don't elect them. We can't hold them accountable. So you were a business person. You were regulated by the administrative state. What do we do? What do you, what do you think needs to be done to fix this, this hidden branch of government over here that's out of our reach? We can't even name the names of the people writing the regulations that are killing our businesses, like oil and gas, but other things too. What do we do? Well, we have to also recognize that the administrative state is part of a what I call a, a cabal of establishment types in there. The administrative state goes on forever because you can't fire them. The bureaucrats cycle back and forth between this one and that one. And then we have what I call the elected uh, congressmen that are blacking in heart, uh, courage, 
and brains, <laughs> and they become the leaders. And so right. they, the cabal then becomes the administrative state. A few of these old guys that have been up there forever, which we could name if we wanted to, and then the fellow travelers, which become our uh, mainstream press, uh, our universities, and I can tell you a lot about Harvard if you want to later on, and uh, the uh, new oligarchs that we've created here, which are running our social media. And if you take those top social media oligarchs, they control, oh, a trillion dollars or more. And compare that to what our $25 to help our local congressman get elected, it's, it's, it's piddling. So we're so unbalanced there, we've got to somehow tear this oligarchy apart and rebuild it into a, to a new thing that more re, uh, reflects what our Constitution looks like. Right. Well, and, and there is a way. I mean, we do have um, antitrust law. We can destroy monopolies. We can, uh, we can stop the control of speech. Uh, where they are. we now know they're taking directives directly from the government to control speech, which is illegal. Uh, it violates the First Amendment when we can prove that uh, definitively, and now we can. So there are a few solutions. Um, I like that in this whole book, which is very broad, you included a chapter titled "What Happens When the Lights Go Out." I talk about this a lot. I'm I'm extremely concerned about. For example, the security of the electric grid, because I feel like it's it's perhaps the most asymmetrical weapon out there for someone who would want to cause us harm, or or even the sun has solar flares that can destroy the grid if you don't harden it. As a natural phenomenon can can harm the grid, but I'm actually worried more about uh, state actors. If they take out the grid, it's a kill shot. We we don't survive that. So I'm, I'm interested in why you thought this belonged in this book, because I love this. But very few people are, are clued into this, this issue. Well, the problem with the uh, global warning people is that they're taking our grid and, and destabilizing it so that the solar flares or the uh, uh, global winters from uh, uh, volcanoes or other natural phenomena uh, will actually destroy our civilization. We're based on a just-in-time uh, phenomena, which is based on communications, computers, the satellites, and everything. You take those out for 30 days, and everybody starves to death. I mean, that's the end of it. So we've created such a complex civilization now based on that. And, of course, I feel a little obligated because I was right at the beginning of the computer age. Uh, we were teaching... Uh, IBM executives about artificial intelligence before we'd created enough memory to have artificial intelligence. Yeah. So we, you know, like, um, I, I want to go back to your volcano point because I thought that was so astute. Again, and a point that I've never heard despite paying attention for a while now to this issue, which was that if a volcano were severe enough, or if even like we had a, a Yucatan Peninsula asteroid, there was a fraction of what the big one was that we talk about all the time. Your point was, if you throw enough um, um, particulate matter into the atmosphere to block out the sun and solar is running the grid, you don't have any power. And at the same time, if I understood what the point you were making, uh, that would, of course, change the wind patterns as well on the Earth. And if you're relying on wind, literally, you're at the mercy of a bad volcano, you know, which people would be shocked at how often volcanoes erupt around the world. Uh, and Krakatoa being very famous. Yes. Uh, in particular, one that, probably the one known best. Yeah, they give us uh, two, three, four, five years of global winter. Yeah. And if we're depending 30% or 50% on solar, hey, we don't have any electricity anymore. That would be a mass casualty event. Yes. That would be a... a, a it would be the worst genocide. Be like Noah's flood. Yeah, it would be. It would be extreme. Yeah. Like uh, billions are at risk uh, yes. should that happen. So I thought it was a very uh, astute point because no one. I mean, people talk to me about volcanoes and about Krakatoa and about its ability to cool the Earth by virtue of reflecting uh, sunlight. We, we, we talk about those points, but no one has actually thought about the vulnerability of a grid 
that relies on wind and solar, at least that's the first time I've seen it raised, uh, and you go into it in the book. So um, there's a lot here to go through. I love, though, that you give hope. Like there's, I, This book has hope. It has, it has the way out. It has a path. And the path, the Constitution being laid down by people who lived over 250 years ago. Really, it, as I said, I marvel at this. I they cannot were di- believe. They were divinely inspired. Had to be because, I mean, they, now they had lots of history to draw from. So they could look back on Athens and Rome and, and see what had been uh, worked and not worked before. But they knew about human nature and divided the power, understanding mankind's nature. And so, you know, as I was saying, even now, it, all the time, I mean, I, I, I didn't go into the wrong uh, business. I was just joking earlier. I'm glad I'm a constitutional lawyer by, by training and by background. But, um, but this is the way out. So I always say the First Amendment is kind of like the tools in the toolbox. You know, free speech, free press, uh, freedom to assemble and petition the government. As long as you keep those tools in the toolbox strong, whatever else goes wrong in the rest of the Constitution, you can fix it. But if you lose those, I don't see how you fix anything. So what do you see? I've got two minutes. What do you see is the most pressing issue for us in restoring the Constitution and how do we do it? Well, we've got to get our elected representatives uh, back on the side of the people. And uh, our Congress, uh, Senate and House, have been ruled by dict- virtual dictators. Nancy Pelosi on one side, we've got McConnell and uh, Schumer on the other side. They're part of this administrative state that's ruling things. Uh, you notice every one of them is now multimillionaires. Yes. Uh, How does that happen? McConnell and... Uh, and uh, Schumer are over a hundred million dollars. I did not. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, know Ma- that. McConnell and uh, Pelosi are over a hundred million dollars. Uh, so they're the ones that are uh, perpetuating this oligarchy of, which is almost a dictatorship now. We've got to first get rid of all of the old uh, heads that are sitting up there. Yeah. And my solution <clears throat> for that is we we can the Constitution provides for a convention of states. And the Convention of States could uh, put term limits back on the uh, Congress people. And uh, if we put it at just reasonable limits, we'd get rid of the top 30% of the old ones. And hopefully we'd get some new people that we could have, the people would have influence. They'd see that we're calling the shots now, not the, the dictators up in, up in Washington. Yeah, term limits being one of the biggest, uh, the omission of term limits being one of the biggest mistakes. Uh, I think by the founders, there weren't many, but that was that was one of a few uh, outstanding. And then I would actually say for as long as you are in office, you know, you cannot trade in, in anything that your decisions can possibly impact, which would be almost zero, right, for a member of Congress or their family. Well, that would immediately eliminate about 100% of them. They would get out of there. Uh, you know, I, I really, we have to find some extreme ways or, or you can't lobby for a foreign government ever after you leave uh, federal service or being a, a cabinet member. So I have some ideas I'd like to push out there to try to disentangle uh, the people who are, are leading things from their own self-interest as opposed to everyone else's. So um, anyway, but we are out of time. But again, it's called Looking Through a Glass Darkly, Divided America in the Gathering Storm by John Whitmore Jenkins. And I trust we can find this on Amazon, right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Find it on Amazon. And you, you have another book. What's the name of it? Uh, my other book is uh, The Blessed Generation, yes. 50 Years on the Cutting Edge of Rapid Change. Fantastic. And I tell the story of how we created this beautiful prosperity and how we were blessed to be born at that time and be able to participate in it. All right. Wonderful. John Whitmore Jenkins, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show.